We turn in our Bibles today to Job and chapter 28. Job and chapter 28. We're thinking of wisdom in suffering. A chorus is a song, in a song or a drama, is part of a song which is repeated after each verse. Many songs tell a story, there is progression and development within the song, and the chorus breaks up the story. It's an intermission as the story rises to its final climax. The chorus is included to summarize the essence of the story and to reflect on the main story within the song. The singer, the choir, or the audience and singing the chorus are taking a break from the storyline, but at the same time, summarizing and reflecting on the main essence of the story. This is the function of a chorus. And in Greek dramas where the chorus began, a group of actors, sometimes separate from the choir, would sing the chorus. They would give the the choristers a break and, and they would reflect on the words that were being singing, were being sung. And this 28th chapter within the book of Job is likened by commentators to a chorus. It's giving us a break. It's suspending us from the progression of the storyline for a while. It's reflecting on the teaching which is emerging from this book. This chapter belongs, as we've said, to this new grammatical format uh, within this book of Job, the soliloquy. We've looked at the prologue in chapters 1 and 2. We've looked at the dialogue in chapter 3 to 27. Chapter 28 to 31 is a soliloquy by Job. He's speaking about himself and, and to himself. No one responds to him in this soliloquy as has been done in the previous chapters. Job is with his own thoughts, his own musings, his own reflections. Conkel describes this 28th chapter as a poem on wisdom. Wisdom is the main theme as indicated by the repeated question in verse 12 and then verse 20. But where shall wisdom be found? That's the obvious question to ask at this stage, isn't it? If you've been reading through the book of Job or or have read it in recent times, you will know how complex and difficult chapter 3 to 27 is as Job and his friends engage in this verbal dialogue. They're wrestling with the question of suffering. They're going round in circles. They're struggling to find an answer. They're locked in opposite positions. And so the obvious question to be asked at this point is then, where is wisdom to be found? Where is the answer to this question of Job's suffering to be had? Where can we go to to have an authoritative opinion on his circumstances? And so at this very juncture, when we're longing for an answer, the question is asked, where does wisdom come from? Who knows the answer in this situation? Who has the solution to this problem? And within this chapter, as it progresses, there are three types of wisdom discussed. 
and we want to think of those today and, and, and apply them to our life and benefit from them in church this morning. There is, first of all, secular wisdom in verses 1 to 11. Secular wisdom. In this lull, in the conversation, in this soliloquy, in this period of reflection, in this chorus, Job has time to reflect on the discussion. He's considered the eloquence of his friends, the reasoning powers of his friends, the public speaking abilities of his friends. And he concludes that man in general is intelligent. There is a secular wisdom, intelligence. And this leads him in in verse 1 to 11 to to think a bit more about the the intelligence of human beings. And he looks in verses 1 to 11 at one expression of human intelligence in a prominent engineering function of his time, mining. And in verses 1 to 11, we have one of the the greatest descriptions of mining in ancient times set out by Job in these verses. His point is, look how clever man is. Here are my friends. They're eloquent. They have reasoning powers. They're intelligent beings. They can form sentences and arguments My friends are intelligent. But where is wisdom to be found? The intelligence is is set out here for us. (coughs) He mentions various mining methods. The open shaft method in verse 4. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. He, He mentions underground mining in verse 10. He cuts out channels in the rocks and his eye sees every precious things. He mentions a variety of tools in his description here. In verse 3, the torches, man puts an end to darkness going down underground. He mentions ropes in verse 4. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. He mentions fire in verse 5. Used in tunnels to heat the rock and then pour water on that heated rock so it cracks and then it's gathered up. As for the earth, underneath it is turned up as by fire. He mentions various precious metals and stones which are mined in his time. In verse 1 and 2, silver and gold. In in verse 2, iron and copper. He mentions sapphires in verse number 6. And as he reflects on this activity of mankind, this engineering ability of human beings, he concludes how superior man is to birds and animals in verse 7 and 8. There is the falcon and it has tremendous eyesight. And yet it cannot see the sapphires underneath the ground which man can mine and the gold veins which man can discover. There's the lion, he says in verse number eight, (coughs) roaming about with pride and, and control and domination over his kingdom, but it's all above ground. 
The miner goes beneath ground to find the jewels and the precious stones. How incredible, how superior, how intelligent is the human being. You see, in verses 9 to 11, his, his emphasis on humankind. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock. He cuts out channels. His eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle. Secular wisdom, intelligence, understanding, ability, how incredible mankind is. And man continues to amaze, doesn't he and she? The different inventions that, that come each year, the solar roadways with the, the solar panels instead of tarmac, able to capture and, and generate electricity. The snore circle, which some of you might be interested in purchasing, which prevents someone from snoring at nighttime. The dolphin, which uses ultrasonic waves to remove dirt from clothes. The, high, the smart high mirror, which has eight different types of analysis of our face. The spots, the wrinkles, the dark places. How incredible, how able, how skilled, how intelligent mankind is. Job recognizes his friends. Humankind in general has intelligence. But where is wisdom to be found? Programs of nature perhaps unintentionally have led us to exclaim how amazing the animal kingdom is. But perhaps we've made that exclamation to the detriment of understanding how amazing mankind is. Set, as Psalm 8 says, with dominion over the works of your hands. The flying falcon, the lordly lion cannot achieve what humankind can achieve. God has made us with intelligence, understanding, and knowledge. And yet, as we hold this chapter in our hands and as we read the news day by day and, and, and see the brutality which humankind can inflict on fellow humankinds, we struggle to grasp, is this the same person? Someone with incredible intellectual ability and yet such depravity of action. And we don't need to look at the news to find that conundrum. We look just to the end of our own nose. For in ourselves, there is ability but also depravity, the secular wisdom. But secondly, in this great chapter, there is the supreme wisdom in verses 12 to 27. And throughout this section, the definite article is being used, the wisdom. But where shall the wisdom be found? Verse 12. Verse 20, from where then does the wisdom come. 
And it's speaking in these verses, not of the secular wisdom or intelligence of mankind, but of the supreme wisdom of God. (coughs) Man is intelligence and mining and the rhetoric of Job's friends. But where shall wisdom be found? Where shall the explanation for my suffering be found? Where shall the explanation of world events and and tragedy and and pain be elicited from? Yes, we can have intelligence. Yes, we can graduate. Yes, we can amass knowledge. But where can wisdom be found? And Job enlarges on this. That only God has this supreme wisdom. It cannot be purchased with those mine stones and verses 15 to 19, bought for gold. Silver cannot be weighed as its price. Verse 16, it cannot be valued in the gold of offer. This wisdom, it cannot be purchased. Man in himself cannot attain it. Verses 13 and 14, man does not know its worth. It is not found in the land of the living. God has it. Verse 23, God understands the way to it, and he knows its place. In verse 27, he uses uh, four verbs regarding God's grasp and possession of wisdom. He saw it. He declared it. He established it. He searched it out. This supreme wisdom, this explanation for Job's suffering, for world events, for the tragedy in our history and biography. The wisdom beyond the intellectual, beyond the the knowledge, the wisdom. God in heaven has this. And Job illustrates the wisdom of God in the works that he has done. Works that are far superior and more advanced than than anything that is achieved by, by mankind. And he describes this in verses 25 and 26. He looks at the wind, he looks at the waters, he looks at the rain, he looks at the lightning, and he thinks of God's works and sees how they are marked by by wisdom. The wind, in verse number 25, he gave the wind its weight. We speak of light winds, we speak of gales and breezes, we speak of storms and hurricanes. We speak of the wind and sand. We speak of the wind and wildfire. We speak of the wind and earth. We speak of the wind and other planets. We speak of trade winds and solar winds and planetary winds and westerly winds and local winds and periodic winds. And it's God who gives the wind its weight. He is wisdom. And waters In verse 25, apportioned the waters by measure, the Atlantic, the Indian Ocean, and the Arctic Ocean, and the Southern Ocean. 71% of the earth's surface covered in water. And God apportions the waters by measure. The rain, he made a decree for the rain. How much, how little, the heavy rain, the light rain, the sleet, the snow, the hailstones. 
and the lightning. The way for the lightning and the thunder. That eight million lightning bolts will strike the earth's surface each day. He has determined it. Provided for it. And compared with human intellect and understanding and the the, the mining ability, this this is immense. This is beyond what what we could ever imagine or grasp. This is wisdom. And, And it's to such a one, Job says, that we are to look for an explanation of suffering and pain and disappointment in life. Today's forecast is that the odd shower what will be around this morning it will turn dry later on in the day and, and throughout the night. A few lingering showers will be there. And every day, the amount of rain, the lightning coming, the movement of the waters, the weight of the wind is determined by God. And we've spoken from time to time about the beginning of Calvin's Institutes. And I do hope you get beyond the beginning of Calvin's Institutes in your lifetime at some stage. But the beginning is so important though, isn't it? That, that true knowledge is found in knowing God and in knowing ourselves. And Job has, has got this here, isn't he? Knowing ourselves. The mining ability, this is mankind, the, the intellect, the knowledge that we have, the skills that we can perform. This is tremendous, far beyond the animal kingdom. But then in, in knowing God and his control of all the universe and the wonders of his hands, doesn't this knowledge of ourselves and, and knowledge of God complement and correct each other? humbles us, that he is far greater than us, that his ways and understanding is beyond us. And perhaps Job is finding solace and comfort in this, that that God is in control of all things, that he is sovereign and that wisdom is found with him. That brings us the assurance that our life is ordered and determined by God. If he controls the rain and the wind and the waters and the lightning, well, surely he will have greater interest and more detailed care in the life and condition of his people who are bought by the blood of his son. The secular wisdom, the supreme wisdom. And lastly, at the the very end, and this is the, the, the climactic nature of this poem he comes to this, this answer <clears throat> regarding wisdom, the spiritual wisdom. Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. Here's this, this movement beyond intelligence and knowledge into this, this other realm, this, this higher realm. Of wisdom. And this wisdom consists in a, an attitude, the fear of the Lord. 
a reverence for God, an awe of God, an appreciation of God, a trust in God. This is the, the Old Testament word for the, the, the truly religious person, the follower of God. They, they fear the Lord. And that attitude is expressed in action. They turn away from evil. Their lifestyle, their choices, their values, their commitments, their home life, their work life is one in which they turn away from evil out of reverence and fear of God. That fear of God drives them, controls them, creates the values within their life and choice. This is wisdom. The fear of the Lord. This is an incredible is incredible that these are the very words that the book of Job began with. Job was a man who feared the Lord and turned away from evil. And unconsciously, it's as if, it's as if God is saying to his three friends, you've been searching for answers here for Job's situation. You've been using knowledge and intelligence to analyze and scrutinize and reason and argue. When all the time, wisdom has been sitting right in front of you. The fear of the Lord turning away from evil. Theologians, as you know, speak about the attributes of God in, in two ways, don't they? The, the incommunicable attributes and the communicable attributes. But even the communicable attributes, that is, those attributes of God which are reflected in ourselves, there is an incredible gulf. We've thought of the two cars, the Trabant and the Mercedes, both cars. But what a gulf between the two. And so God's wisdom, how infinite, how vast, how great, and yet he gives wisdom to us. It's in a lower scale. It's in a lesser sphere. And yet, it's real and it's true. And we're called here to have that wisdom. Not just intelligence and, and knowledge, but wisdom. An attitude in relation to God. We fear him and it's reflected in our life. We turn away from evil. So secular wisdom. We've spoken to the boys and girls about the importance not just of working hard at their studies but of following Christ. Not just in gaining knowledge but in developing and walking in the wisdom of God in honoring him and pleasing him and following him. Supreme wisdom. Derek Thomas suggests that if Job was writing today, he wouldn't write about mining. He would write about space travel or microchip development. And perhaps Job would write about that if he was writing today to describe the intelligence and knowledge of mankind. <clears throat> but I think if he was writing about God's wisdom, he wouldn't write about the creation. He would write about the cross. Because the wisdom of God is supremely revealed in the cross. That he remains just and perfect and holy and righteous. And yet his love and mercy and grace is revealed to us. There is wisdom expressed 
by our sovereign God. He would write more about the Redeemer than about the rain. He would write more about the wounds than the waters or the wind. He would write more about the love than about the lightning. For in the cross, the wisdom of our God is made known. And we embrace it today. And spiritual wisdom. What an opportunity for us again today as we come aside from our workplace, our family commitments, our responsibilities, to reflect on our life. To ask God, as the psalmist did, to search us and know us and see if there is any wicked way in us and to lead us in the way that is everlasting to express this proper wisdom of turning away from evil. What a need there is for wisdom in our nation. We need a leader at this time, not who is intelligent or filled with knowledge, but who is wise in this last sense. Have you googled Rishi Sunak to see what university he went to? The focus of Johnson and the focus of trusts and the focus of Sunak is on tax, on energy, on NHS, on pensions, on interest rates, on the Northern Ireland Protocol. They're they're wrestling intellectually, drawing in the the experts and specialists and advisors to, to solve these puzzles that are facing us. The greatest need is for a leader with wisdom that fears the Lord and turns away from evil. And for ourselves then, and for our nation, let us pray for such wisdom. What a challenge for parents today who often feel the peer pressure of their children doing well at school, of getting high grades and and getting to the university of their choice and and succeeding well there. But what what a challenge to us not to, to prioritize knowledge, but wisdom. Not to elevate pleasing men and teachers, but pleasing God. And challenged by the answer which a godly mother would give when asked how her children were doing, she would reply by explaining how they were doing spiritually. The wisdom above the knowledge. And so as we leave church today, let us realign our values and place wisdom above intelligence within the priorities for ourselves and for others. Godliness above GCSEs, holiness above earthly honors, devotion to Christ above doctorates or degrees, the praise of God above the praise of man.